Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Please take out your Bibles and turn in them to Psalm number 23. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn in it in the front part to page 401, and you would be at Psalm 23. Now, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment just so you can focus, and I'm going to ask you this question. I'm not going to ask you to respond outwardly, but just inwardly. Here's the question. Do you feel blessed today? Do you feel blessed today? Well, if you know the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, personally, you are blessed. But you might be thinking when I ask that question, well, life is difficult for me right now. Life is scary. Life is discouraging. And that may be true, but... If you know the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, personally, you are blessed. So let me pose a question again. Are you blessed today? You know, Psalm 23 is a resounding reminder of that fact. We've been involved in the study of Psalm 23 where we have seen that he is the God who is there. He is our all in all. And we've been working our way through Psalm 23. We began by looking at verse 1 when we saw him as our great shepherd. He's Yahweh God, our great shepherd. And then we saw in verses 2, in the first part of verse 3, that he is the God who satisfies. He is the great antidote to worry. He calms our heart. He renews our spirit. And then we saw in the last part of verse 3 that he is the God who guides He guides us on to the right trails, the right paths, and they are trails and paths where he ends up being the one who is honored. And then we have seen that he is the God who protects in verse 4. There are times when he will guide us into valleys of deep darkness, but he will always be there with his power and with his protective care. Now, today we're coming to verse 5 where we're going to see that He is the God who provides. If you have your Bible open to Psalm 23, I want to read through these first five verses and invite you to follow along as I read. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. As the God who provides, He meets our greatest needs. Truly, He is a giver and not a taker. 
Now, the verse that we come to today in Psalm 23, verse 5, is actually the hardest verse to interpret in the entire psalm. And, and I know I have worked very hard. It's been the hardest section for me to work on so far. And in order for us to understand this, there are two threads that we're going to follow during our time today. The first thread we're going to follow is the thread of understanding the imagery that is here in verse 5. And then the second thread that we're going to trace our way through is understanding the truth behind the imagery. So we need to understand the imagery, and then we're going to be looking at the truth behind the imagery, but we'll be weaving our way through those two things as we look at verse 5. Now, interpreters differ on their understanding of verse 5. Some interpreters would say that the imagery shifts here. It shifts from imagery of a shepherd and his sheep to imagery of a host who is providing for a house guest. And they would say, when it says, you prepare a table, it's talking about preparing food for a house guest. When they say it talks about anointing your head with oil, what they would often do in that day is they would use perfumed ointment, and they would use that perfumed ointment to refresh a guest. If that sounds a little familiar, you might remember in Luke chapter 7, Jesus was in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And if you remember the story, a woman who was a sinner comes into Simon's house, and she has this vial of perfumed oil that she ends up pouring on Jesus' feet. And Simon objects, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Do you know who this woman is like? And Jesus says to Simon, even though he was a guest in Simon's house, he says, you did not anoint my head with oil, which was a common thing to do, but she anointed my feet with perfumed oil. So they would say, when you look at verse 5 of Psalm 23, this is talking about a host and a house guest. When it says, my cup overflows, uh, a common practice in that day is if you were hosting someone, if you would refill their cup, you would be communicating to them, I want you to stay. If you would not refill their cup, it was just a way of saying, you know, really it's time for you to go home. Now, that change of imagery is a possible one. However, I don't think it's the most probable one. To me, it seems out of sync with the rest of the psalm. So in my opinion, I think he's continuing on with the imagery of a shepherd and sheep. So if we're going to understand the imagery here, we need to dive into it. What does it mean when he says, you prepare a table before me? This is where I am grateful for a number of expositors who have also been shepherds in real life. For example, Philip Keller. And what he points out is this. Remember, we talked about how the shepherds would move their flocks in the summertime. They would move them up to the high country range in the summer months. And that high country is often called the tablelands. How many people have ever heard the word mesa? Let me see some hands. Okay, a number of you have. Do you know that the word mesa is simply the Spanish word for table? And we call a lot of our tablelands a mesa. And when they would move up to the table lands, the shepherd would prepare the area for the flock. 
He would seek out the best bedding areas, the ones that had the most plentiful grass, and he would also avoid those areas that have a heavy infestation of adder snakes, because as we're going to see, adder snakes gave trouble to the sheep. He would avoid those areas on the tablelands that had poisonous weeds and poisonous flowers, or they would remove those poisonous flowers. Here is what Keller writes. He says, unknown to me, the first sheep ranch I owned had a rather prolific native stand of both blue and white kama. They're, they're wild flowers. And he says, the blue kamas were a delightful sight in the spring when they bloomed. However, the white kamas, though a much less conspicuous flower, and they were also attractive, but they were a deadly menace to the sheep. If lambs, in particular, ate or even just nibbled a few of these lily-like leaves, it would spell certain death for them. The lambs would become paralyzed, stiffen up like blocks of wood, and simply succumb to the toxic poison from the plants. And he goes on to say, when they would move up to these tablelands with the white camas, he and his family would spend days just plucking those poisonous plants to keep them from the sheep. And so the picture we have here when he says, you prepare a table for me, is a picture of a shepherd faithfully and sacrificially and generously providing for the needs of the sheep. You remember when the people of Israel went out into the wilderness and God led them into the wilderness. And it's interesting, they get out there in the wilderness, and this is reflected in Psalm 78, 19. They ask a very interesting question there. They say this, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? What they were really asking when they were out there is this question, can God meet our needs? And think about ourselves when we find ourselves in wilderness experiences. What's the top question on our mind? Can God meet my needs here? Remember, remember in this analogy that we have in Psalm 23, we are the sheep. And isn't it interesting, just like sheep, we can indiscriminately sample anything that catches our fancy. We have a lot of white camas out there. Sometimes we choose to pursue things over people. Man, it happens all the time. Sometimes we might want to sample sex outside the bounds of marriage. Or maybe we really want to feed a little bit on the idea of self-promotion, being popular. That's what it's all about. And there's a whole host of other noxious things that are out there. And that's one of the reasons why God gave us the Scriptures. See, the Scriptures are here to point out the things that are good for us to take in and to point out the things that are harmful for us to take in so we might avoid them. See, men and women, that's why, I hope you never forget it, that's why this book is so vital, so vital. You see, as we go out even to, into wilderness experiences, as we follow the shepherd, 
He is ahead of us. He's anticipating the dangers. He is committed to provide for our safety and our peace. He is committed to provide whatever grace that we need for whatever place he leads us into. I just want to remind you of the heart of Jesus the shepherd. Keep your finger in Psalm 23 and turn with me in the New Testament to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I just want you to see the heart of the shepherd, the heart of Jesus. And there was a wilderness experience before the disciples coming. And in verse 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father. And here's the key phrase I want you to see. This is the heart of the shepherd. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And you remember the story of what happens here. We're not going to look at it in detail, but he gets up, verse 4, from supper, and he lays aside his garments, and he takes up a towel, and he girds himself, and he pours water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. And part of the picture he was trying to draw for them was a picture of the necessity of them learning to serve one another. But that's not the only picture he was providing for them. We learn from verse 10 that another picture he was providing for them was the the fact that he was committed to provide for them everyday forgiveness that they needed. Remember, Peter said, well, just wash me from head to toe. And he says, well, those who've already been washed don't need that kind of a bath. They just need their feet cleaned. Those who've already been forgiven of all their sins don't need that all over again, but they need their feet cleaned. We need to have forgiveness, and he's committed to that. Turn with me a few chapters in the right of the Gospel of John to chapter number 21. And this is another whole story. We don't have time to develop this, but you remember when Jesus had been resurrected and the the disciples are out uh, fishing and they don't catch anything, and then, you know, they cast the net on the other side and they get all all this incredible load of fish. But what I want you to notice is as they're coming and struggling to come back in to shore, dragging the net of full fish, as it says at the end of verse 8. Notice what happens here. What is a shepherd doing? When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. See, what was the shepherd saying to the disciples? I have incredible concern for your everyday deeds, men. Made a fire. I got the fresh, the fish charcoaling on the fire. I got some bread here for you to eat. What he was saying is, as a shepherd of them, I am aware of your need. I am there for you. My plan is to provide for you ahead of time before you even need it. What he was saying is, You and your needs are always on my heart. Going back to Psalm 23, he says, you prepare a table before me. And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, in the presence of my enemies. Now, again, we need to understand the imagery here. As sheep, as you would move the sheep up onto the tablelands, and you would do that, you know what was happening at the same time? 
up in the rim rocks, you would have a lion or a bear or a wolf lurking, looking for the opportunity. Ah, there's sheep. Let me ask you this question. What are our enemies? You ever think about that as you go into a week? What enemies am I going to be facing this week? Well, the Bible clearly tells us about three of them. The first one, the first enemy that we have is Satan and his forces. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about how our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. An enemy that we have to face is Satan and his forces. A second enemy we have to face as we walk through life is the world system. By the world system, we're talking about the values, the misplaced values of the world system. And the world system is always pushing values on us, self-gratification, self-elevation, and coveting. You ought to have this, you ought to have that, you ought to have that. And remember what Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says, don't be conformed to this world, the misplaced values of this world system. Don't let those things shape your life. Don't let yourself be conformed to them. Don't let that world squeeze you into its mold. And then a third enemy that we have as sheep of Jesus is our flesh. 1 Peter 2.11 talks about our fleshly lusts which wage war against our soul. So you see, we have enemies But remember, we have a shepherd. We have a God who provides. Again, keep your finger in Psalm 23. We will return. But I want you to go deep with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. It's one of the last few books of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to see again that we have a shepherd who is the God who provides. We have to face these enemies. Do we do that alone? No. The shepherd's gone before us. He's there providing for us. Notice verse 14 of Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, who doesn't understand what it's like to battle these enemies, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, here comes the payoff in verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you need mercy? He has it. Do you need grace? He has it. That's why, men and women, nearness to the shepherd, nearness to Jesus is the place of greatest safety. It's the place of greatest provision. What does it look like practically to draw near to the shepherd? Well, I think it involves three things. It means that we talk to Jesus. We call that prayer. It means that we listen to Jesus, 
That involves the Word of God as He speaks through this divine book to us. And it means that we follow Him as He leads, and that involves the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, the Spirit who is there to lead us. Do you feel separated from the shepherd? Then talk to Jesus and listen to Jesus and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and you will no longer feel separated. Now going back to Psalm 23, we move on to another phrase here that he mentions. He says, you have anointed my head with oil. Now, the oil that they would use would be generally olive oil, and they would sometimes mix spices in it, and sometimes they would even mix a little sulfur into it. And when it came to sheep, a shepherd would use an oil related to the sheep in two ways. Number one, it would be used to repel, and number two, it would be used to heal. Remember, we talked about those areas that would have those adders, the brown adder snake. And brown adders were notorious for coming out of a hole in the ground, popping out and biting a sheep on the nose. And so what a shepherd would do is he would take some of this oil and he would pour it around the holes of the snakes. And that very thick lubrication would give trouble to the snake negotiating its way out of the hole. And then they would also take that oil and oftentimes would rub it on the snout of the sheep, which would also repel a snake that maybe was outside of the hole. You anoint my head with oil. Now, summertime with sheep, if you know anything about it at all, you would know it's fly time. In the summertime with sheep, you would have warble flies and bot flies and heel flies and deer flies and black flies, all that would be there to bother the sheep. But the most irritating fly of all for a sheep was a nose fly. And you say, I haven't really heard of a nose fly. Well, here's what a nose fly would do with sheep. They would fly up their nose and deposit their eggs on the damp mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. Those eggs would hatch into maggots. And if left alone, those maggots would go up the nasal passage of the sheep. And might I say, to, to no one's surprise, that would create quite a bit of irritation to the sheep. In fact, it could even cause some inflammation with the sheep. And what would happen is to a sheep is when they became infested with a nose fly, they would thrash around on the ground trying to somehow get those out of their nose, or maybe they would just rub their snout in the dirt. They were even known at times to go up to a, a rock or a tree and sort of beat their head on that, trying to obviously loosen those nose flies, those maggots, out of their nose. In fact, the very presence of nose flies around a flock of sheep would cause the sheep to become very restless. They would often go into a frenzy. They might even sort of stampede, run off, and sometimes they might even start running and they would run to exhaustion. 
And what a shepherd would do is he would take his finger and stick his finger up their snout, and he would scrape out those maggots. And then he would apply some oil to his hand and and smear and anoint that around inside their snout to soothe and to heal the sheep. And so then you ask, well, what's the thrust behind that imagery? (laughs) Well, what in life makes you restless? What in life do you find irritating? You know, we encounter frustrations in life and irritations and annoyances. Sometimes they have to do with people. Sometimes they have to do with circumstances. What's the message for us? When we encounter frustrations and irritations and annoyances, be they with people or circumstances, the shepherd is there. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? When you encounter frustrations and irritations and annoyances, that the shepherd is there? He is there. He is there with the oil of His grace for us. He is there with the oil of the Holy Spirit. See, that's why in in Galatians 5 it talks about, I have the Spirit produced life for you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, I'm the God who provides when you're facing frustrations and irritations and annoyances. In other words, the shepherd is there for you. Don't panic when these things happen. Don't run off in a frenzy. Don't find yourself running to exhaustion. Don't go beat your head against a tree. Remember, he's the God who provides. Don't ever forget that. Now back to... Back to Psalm 23 again. He says, as the God who provides, you prepare a table before me, and you do it in the presence of my enemies, and you have anointed my head with oil. And then finally, there's this other phrase that he says here. He says, my cup overflows. Now, I find this particular imagery very intriguing You know, oftentimes when the shepherd would go up onto the tablelands, because it was higher ground, the only way that they could get water for the sheep was to get it from a well. And many of those wells were 100 feet plus deep. And the typical bucket that a shepherd would have available to him at a well was the size of about three quarts, less than our gallon. And what he would have to do with that rope at the well is he would have to lower that bucket down that holds three quarts of water, and he would have to put that down and then pull it all the way up. And a lot of times what they would have that they might carry with them are what was called stone cups. And you would have these stone cups, and he would draw up all of this water, and then he would pour the water into that stone cup. Now think about it. If you had 50 to 60 sheep who were all thirsty it would take you several hours to continually be bringing this water up and pouring it into those cups. 
Now, sometimes there was an alternative to carrying a stone cup with you, and they would have a built-in cup by the well. And it's interesting, when the Abernathys went to Israel, they brought back these two pictures. You see that little cup area that's beside the well. The well is all the stones that are around it. And that, what they would do is they would bring the water up, and they would pour it into that little built-in stone cup there. So either way, the idea is the shepherd is gathering and providing this water for the sheep. Now, here's what would happen. If you were an inferior shepherd, you would be negligent about getting water into the cups and keeping it in the cups for the sheep. If you were a good shepherd, you would keep filling the cup. And if you were an amazing shepherd, you would always be filling the cup until it was overflowing. It's interesting how the New Living Translation translates this part in verse 5. It says, my cup overflows with blessings. You see, that's the idea of the imagery here for you and for me. The, me the message translates it this way, my cup brims with blessings. You see, it's saying God is the, the great giver. He is more than enough. I'm even thinking back to the imagery again of the host and the guest. Remember how I said in that imagery, uh, if you would refill the cup, uh, you would be communicating, hey, I want you to stay. I'm enjoying your company. If you would not refill the cup, you're saying, you know, it's probably time for you to go. But when you would overflow their cup, you were basically communicating to them, everything that I have is yours. And in fact, what they would often do even with a guest is they would overflow the cup and it would wet your hand and sometimes flow onto the table. And, and really what they were communicating to their guest is, I'm going to meet your needs to the best of my ability. And, and men and women, the idea here is that as sheep of the shepherd, we have wet hands. We have wet tables. You remember what Paul says in Philippians 4.19, he says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, it's amazing how we know that verse, and sometimes we would read it more like, My God will give me everything I want. That's not what it says. My God will supply all your needs. And really, technically, needs are life essentials. It includes things like food, because we have to have that to live. It includes things like clothing, because otherwise we're going to freeze. It includes shelter. But see, too often we uh, confuse needs with wants, don't we? You know, we walk around thinking to ourselves, I need an iPad. I need to have a hot tub. I need a new car. I need to have designer clothes. I need a Blu-ray player. I need an iPhone. Now, I just want you to understand what I'm saying here. Don't, don't misread me. None of those things are morally wrong. In fact, I, I have my second iPhone, and I'm looking to get my third iPhone relatively soon. But those things are not needs. See, by His grace, sometimes He will supply some of our wants. But when it comes to our needs, He says, I'm going to supply all of them. 
See, what we don't want to miss is that God is a great giver. God is a great provider. In Ephesians 1.3, here's what Paul tells us. He says, we, as sheep who follow the shepherd, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I love Lewis Sperry Chafer, who is the founder of Dallas Seminary. He wrote a great systematic theology, but one of the things he includes there is he says that the moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ, 33 riches of grace were given to you at the moment that you trusted in him. He is the great giver and the great provider. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He has provided for us. We have been given an inheritance. And when we get to heaven, we're going to find out how great that inheritance is. Turn with me to Psalm 103. You know, one of the greatest blessings we've ever received from God, one of the greatest things He's ever provided and given to us is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Look at Psalm 103. By the way, this would be a great study for you to spend some time in. But Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The forgiveness he has given to us. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him, the sheep who follow him, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me ask you this question. Are your mistakes too great for his mercy? Oh, no. Are your problems too great for his grace? Oh, no. Our cup overflows. We have wet tables, and wet hands. Hayden Robinson has written this. He says, our God is a great giver. He is lavish in his bounties to us. He not only gives us what we ask or think, he gives us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. With him, the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is unspeakable, and the peace passes understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure his goodness by drops like a druggist filling a prescription. It comes to us in floods if only we recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts. What a difference it would make in our lives. Do you feel blessed today? If you know the great shepherd personally, you are blessed. He is the God who generously provides. Now, having looked at this portion of Psalm 23, we want to talk about a carryout for us, some life response that we can have, and it's going to involve two things. It involves the word run, and it involves the word rejoice. What do I mean by run? Well, what we need to do is we need to run to the throne 
of grace. Ephesians 4.16, remember, draw near with confidence that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you need it, run to the throne of grace. He will provide it. That's the kind of shepherd he is. And the second thing we need to do by way of life response is we need to rejoice in his blessings. I would strongly encourage you in the next 24 hours to just make a fresh list of the blessings of God in your life and then thank him for them. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a hymn called He Giveth More Grace. I just want you to listen as we close to these final words that she penned. She said, his love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's our shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for David who wrote such a practical, real-life psalm for us to benefit from. So often we don't see reality, especially when we're dealing with irritations and struggles and we're in the wilderness. May we remember that you're there. You've gone before us. You have prepared the table. You are providing everything that we need. May we always be quick to run to the throne of grace and receive the mercy and the grace that we need to help in that time of need. Thank you for being our shepherd. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.